This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. Way back in 1908, after the North American bison were almost completely exterminated, early Denverites had the foresight to round up 18 of the remaining animals and start cultivating a herd. And now we're giving those bison away, back to the tribes who lived on the land we now call Denver. So I'm talking with the city official who built trust with the tribes and the Eastern Shoshone man who manages the herd at the Wind River Reservation in Wyoming, where many of those Denver-raised bison are living now. Plus, stick around for an interview with info you need to know about tomorrow's election, presented by our sponsor, New Era Colorado. Today is Monday, April 3rd. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Scott Gilmore and Jason Baldus, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this whole idea of transferring bison from Denver back to tribes came from you, right? Well, it's a long process. This isn't something that just, you know, came out of nowhere. It was something that um, has been building for over a decade. Um, I work with some tribal members here in the city and county of Denver, the Tall Bull Memorial Council. Then also, knowing Jason and the work he was doing with the National Wildlife Federation, he actually planned a trip up to, I believe it was Wind River, um, where we actually took a trip up to see the bison up there. And when I returned here, I realized that, you know, I had something that no other city in the United States had. We have two bison herds. And we would always auction those bison off. So it just fell into place where why auction these bison off to ranchers that are just going to take them and use them for, you know, maybe, you know, processing them or, or using them as part of their herd when we could actually take them and return them to where they historically came from. Jason, can you talk about your role or part in this transfer of the bison? I'm currently surrounded by buffalo right out the back door is uh, 80 head of buffalo that belong to the Eastern Shoshone tribe. And we're working to acquire more land, more habitat for buffalo. So for a number of years, I've been part of a buffalo restoration project here at Wind River. I'm a member of the Eastern Shoshone tribe, and we called ourselves the Buffalo Eaters, the Guchandika, but buffalo was missing for 130 years from our communities. You know, we've we have just since been able to start harvesting animals for our own annual sun dances. So, you know, there's a lot of tribes that are working to restore buffalo to their communities for cultural, spiritual purposes, and also ecological reasons. This is a keystone species. 
So it's important that we restore this animal for its rightful place on the landscape. You know, there were 30 to 60 million of these animals on this continent uh, less than 200 years ago. They were nearly annihilated. Scott, I would love to know why you wanted to approach even like think the way that Jason is framing this is restoring these animals coming back from near extinction. Why did the city of Denver want to take this on or this just seems like a really daunting process? Well, for one reason, it's the right thing to do. You know, as a person that grew up, you know, in this country, we were taught things in a specific way. I'm a wildlife biologist by training. I learned a Eurocentric way of managing wildlife. We own wildlife. And, you know, not until I started working for Colorado Parks and Wildlife here in Colorado as a biologist. I was, you know, early in my career there. I was out on the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation teaching some kids how to fish. And this little boy comes up to me and I've taught, I did this whole educational program about wildlife and, you know, we own the wildlife and we need to take care of it and blah, blah, blah. You know, all the stuff I was taught. This little kid, probably about eight years old, comes up to me and he tugs on my shirt and he's like, hey, sir. And I'm like, hey, you excited to go fishing? And he's like, yeah, I'm ready to go fishing. But I just want to tell you something. You don't own the wildlife. We don't own the wildlife. Wildlife is just part of the land. And I'll tell you what, that changed my perspective of how I looked and what I learned. The city and county, Jason brought something up. The city and county actually reads this land acknowledgement. And we, we've been doing this for about three or four years. And those are just words on a piece of paper. They're important words. I'm not saying they're not important, but those are words. And the important thing when you are going to read a land acknowledgement is that you follow up with action. The bison are part of the land. And so for me to be able to turn around and return the land, I mean, it's it's pretty moving that we can do that. Jason, can you talk about this idea that Scott's talking about or the concept that the buffalo are part of the land? What does that mean to, to you? Uh, well, it, it means a, a great deal that, uh, you know, the, the people like the Shoshone tribe and more than the 574 federally recognized tribes in this country relied upon resources in their regions. You know, the health and wealth of our people was based in the biodiversity of plants and animals. And calling ourselves the buffalo eaters is indicative of how important that food source was for us. It was life's commissary. It was our food, our clothing, our shelter. It was our tools. It was central to our ceremonial uh, cultural belief systems that we've fortunately been able to hold on to, that we still practice. We still have songs. We still have ceremonies where buffalo is integral. And so we're, we're not separated from that buffalo any more than that buffalo is separated from the land. And so, you know, restoring that relationship not only to our people is very important culturally but it's also very important ecologically. This is a keystone species that's important in climate resiliency, carbon storage, ecosystem integrity. You know, when you restore buffalo, you're restoring the plant and animal biodiversity. But equally, if not more important for its nutrition uh, to get this animal back into our diet, available back for our ceremonies ensuring that our young people know and understand this history, but also the contemporary one. That's economic development. It's cultural revitalization, 
language revitalization. So we don't separate ourselves from that buffalo just like we can't separate that buffalo from the land. This is such helpful context because I think about the news coverage of this transfer and it's it feels very symbolic, but you're explaining that this is not symbolic. This is actual physical change in trying to change, not change the landscape, but change what's going on for, I mean, for instance, for your tribe. That's that's correct. We're trying to create a, uh, a future for our people. You know, we still have upwards of 60, 70 percent unemployment on the reservation. Our life expectancy is at least 10 years lower than the rest of America. Uh, we have social challenges. But one thing we can agree on is that we are Buffalo people. Uh, historically, and that we have uh, undergone a, a series of a colonial uh, assimilative processes that we can now work to undo to some level. Scott, I have a question for you because I'm thinking about your role at Parks and Rec. Like you all manage the Buffalo Bill Museum and Grave, which is a memorial to someone who is part of our mythic idea of the Wild West and also happened to kill a lot of bison. But then you also help to raise these historic herds in our mountain parks. How do you think about or reconcile those two things? Yeah, that's that's a pretty amazing question because we we are challenged um, with that. Um, we do as a Parks and Rec department. We manage the Buffalo Bill Museum, and Buffalo Bill is buried on top of Lookout Mountain. And you know, when I first got in this job eleven years ago, I had this gentleman that was running the museum, and you know, he was a nice guy. He was very Buffalo Bill. That's all he mm -hmm. cared about, mm -hmm. and. You know, as I started to learn more and more, and as Jason, you know, brought up, you know, Buffalo Bill, he got his name from killing buffalo. And they did not kill buffalo for the food or anything else. They killed it to try to exterminate or even try to remove or, or force Indian tribes to where they wanted them to go. And then when they got them in a certain place, if gold was discovered or something was on that land, then they had to try to move them again. It... Just the stories are just, to be honest, horrific. Mm -hmm. So to try to balance that is very challenging. So what we've done at the museum is we've taken what we used to try to put Buffalo Bill on a pedestal and talk about how great he was. We are actually now changing that narrative. And we're talking about, you know, the the other individuals that participated in the Wild West show, the, the Native Americans and the indigenous population that took a huge part of, you know, role in his Wild West show, the women that were part of his show that he fought for equal pay for them. So we are trying to move that museum from putting him on a pedestal to actually really talking about the real story. And if you don't get the whole story, it's kind of hard. So, and that's something I've had to learn. You're going to, as you work with indigenous populations and tribal members, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to maybe spell a tribal name wrong or something. You need to acknowledge those things and just learn from them and continue moving forward. Jason, that kind of leads me to my last question, which is about the future. I know that these bison transfers with Denver are getting attention nationally. Like Interior Secretary Deb Holland recently announced a $25 million investment in programs to help restore the bison population. But again, some Republicans are pushing up against that. 
Um, what do you see as the future of bison in America? Well, that's a difficult question. You know, uh, I think that uh, what we can do for bison or buffalo on tribal lands, you know, to protect them under tribal law, to allow them to exist as a keystone species on larger landscapes, that's going to set precedent for, I think, what we can do on public lands. And public lands belong to all of us. And uh, many of those public lands are also on the traditional territory of indigenous people. And there's also secretarial orders and some encouragement for these federal agencies, which have trust responsibility to tribes to work on co-management or cooperative agreements so that there is a say in a more holistic vision for how we see our public lands in the future. So uh, I would hope that uh, we can continue to include indigenous voices, not only for Buffalo, but for the future of our lands. Scott, I have to just ask, um, I know that there's a sunset or sort of this could end in 2030. Do you think that the city of Denver will continue with the the raising and restoring of, of bison and buffalo and the transfer to the tribes? No doubt. My goal is to actually remove that sunset. You know, we put that on there just to see how this worked. And it's this year, actually, the, the transfer this year was phenomenal when you have Ken Burns coming out. Um, and doing a story covering what Jason, the work Jason's doing. But even his film crew was like, Scott, we've covered some transfers. And he's, they were like, this is different. Hmm. What the city of Denver has created here, the partnerships and the collaboration and the trust, you just don't see that. And I have to honor and I have to acknowledge that I've been placed in a position of power and privilege. I have. Hmm. I have been given the ability to go out and make decisions and not be second guessed. And, well, they might second guess me, but I'm allowed to make decisions. I am sitting right outside of Pioneer Park, which is a little memorial. And on top of that was Kit Carson. Right, downtown. Mm -hmm. Kit Carson is not there anymore. During the, the George Floyd, you know, demonstrations, there were some statues that were toppled. I was in the protest, so I was hearing what was happening. I wasn't on the sidelines. I was walking um, as a person of color. That directly impacts me. That impacts my family. And so as I was hearing that, I did some quick research on Kit Carson, and I was like, why is he holding such a prominent position in our city? We are pulling him down today. So mm -hmm. I, being in a power position of power and privilege that I have, I actually contacted my forestry staff who has bucket trucks and booms, and we pulled it down that day. And I know there were some people that were kind of a little frustrated because they were like, well, we've been trying to get this done for two decades. And I'm like, well, be happy because I'm doing it today. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I'm not yes. asking anybody's permission. And so I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to know Jason. I'm blessed to be able to be in this role where I can make, you know, I can make a difference. When I retire and I move on, this will go down as one of the most memorable things that I could have ever done or participated in because it does make a difference. Scott, Jason, thank you both so much. This has been a really eye-opening conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. And if this just opens somebody's eyes to what's going on out there, um, it's worth it. Hey, it's Paul. I'm a producer on the show, and I'm pleased to share the following interview with the sponsor of this episode, New Era Colorado, about what you need to know about our upcoming election on April 4th. 
Ali Belknap, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you for having me. So you are a field director with New Era Colorado, which is this super cool, nonpartisan, grassroots, nonprofit organization that engages young people in politics. And we are super close to an election here in Denver. So is this like crazy crunch time for you or what? It absolutely is. So we're on campuses talking to young people. We are texting. We're sending out mail. We're sending out postcards. This election is happening, and we want to make sure young people are turning out in force. But Allie, young people don't care about politics, right? I I feel like I hear people say that all the time. I would say that young people do vote. We do care. Colorado boasts one of the highest youth turnout rates in the country. Actually, we lead the nation on youth voter turnout. And it really, it takes Colorado 12 points above the national average for youth turnout, which is really remarkable. Young people make up one third of the electorate in Denver, and that's true for the entire state of Colorado as well. And so when we turn out, we really have the power to make change and to have our voices heard. It's the job of our elected officials and local leaders to take bold action on the issues that impact young people. What do young people care about right now in politics? What are you hearing from them? I'll kind of go back to 2021. So we embarked on a listening tour to connect with young people across Colorado. What we heard was that the top issues for young people are climate action, reproductive rights, economic justice, higher education, student debt. I could go on. I think, you know, we know that young people do take action. They do listen. They do pay attention. And um, when we turn out, it's really powerful. All right, Allie, I've got a hard question for you. In this election coming up on April 4th, Denver voters are being asked to elect not only a new mayor, but many of us will also be picking a new council person. Which do you think is more important? Which do I think is more important? Well, I would say that they're both extremely important. The first thing I'll say is that our mayor is, that's a really powerful position in Denver's government structure. One thing I always like to point out is that the Denver mayor has fewer checks and balances than even the governor of Colorado. But I will also say that city, yeah, isn't that interesting? I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah, it's they I mean, they can hire and fire pretty much anyone in government. So they hold the top job for pretty much anything that happens in in Denver. But what I'll also say is that the mayor doesn't make laws. That is the job of city council. I think city council plays a really big role in ensuring our city grows in a way that's affordable and sustainable for residents because we are growing and we can do that in a way where there is enough resources and housing to go around as long as we're building truly affordable and accessible housing. And the last thing I'll say is that the mayor also creates and proposes our city's budget and city council has to work with him to edit it and approve it. And so there's just a lot of power in our local government. And yeah, that's what I would say. So I'm hearing from you that they're both very, very important. I I, I guess I won't press you to pick just one. They're both (laughs) important and they work together. Well, Ali, we already agreed this is crunch time for this election. What do voters absolutely need to know before they vote? Oh, my gosh. I love this question because I can't stop talking about it. I was literally doing karaoke this last weekend and I grabbed the mic and I was like, there's an election coming up. Here's what you need to know. (laughs) I just can't stop talking about it. So, yeah, this election is so important. We could decide Denver's path for the next 12 years. And that's a that's a big deal. So 12 years from now, young people, you might be going to school, starting families, launching your career, building a business, 
deepening your roots in the city. And ultimately, I think we all just want to be able to afford to stay in the city that we love. And we deserve to have a say in how all that happens. So the most critical information that I could drive home is that it's never too late to register to vote or update your registration. It's too late to vote by mail. So you will want to go in person to a voter service center or use a Dropbox. And if you have questions about that, you can just call the Denver County Clerk's Office. I would just say talk to folks that you know, talk to your family, friends, networks, communities. When we show up and we vote our values, we can really chart the course of our city and make sure that our issues are represented. And so that's what's happening. We've got an election happening and we want folks to get out there. Allie, I have to go back and follow up on something important. You grabbed the mic at a karaoke night to talk about politics? How did that go over? So I got great feedback from people who were just kind of in the crowd. But then the person who was controlling the DJ booth, they were like, hey, no politics at this karaoke bar. And, you know, I accepted <laughs> it. I accepted it. But um, somebody mm-hmm. was so interested about it that I actually got them registered to vote online outside, which was very cool. Allie Belknap, thanks so much. Thank you. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Yes, the big mayoral election is tomorrow. If you haven't voted yet, just do it. But don't mail in your ballot. The deadline has passed, so you've got to drop it off at a ballot box. We'll include a link to find a ballot box near you in the show notes. Happy voting! (laughs) And also, it's finally spring. I mean, technically, it started a couple weeks ago, but now that it's April, I'm seeing more and more plants and critters starting to peek their heads out. That means it's time to start thinking about a garden. I know there are lots of you out there figuring out what you want to do with your garden this year or how you want to fill your apartment with beautiful plants and flowers. And we want to help. We have a gardening expert on deck to answer all of your questions about gardening in the city. All you need to do is email us at denver at citycast.fm or text or leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and we might answer your gardening question on the show. Our number is 720-500-5418. Again, you can call our gardening hotline at 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the plant daddy in your apartment complex about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Ah, yes, my plastic bag tree has just bloomed today. There's a dollar store bag hanging on my sad tree in the front yard. So make sure to trim your plastic bag bushes.